Dear Lord, we realize just that lately everything's changing too damn fast. And, and all sorts of things are always the same, even things we hated, like shoveling the turkey and stuffing the snow and going through the same crap year in and year out. Honey, food's getting cold. As I was saying, dear Lord, before my wife interrupted me, give me those old-fashioned pain-in-the-ass traditions like Thanksgiving, which really means something to us, even though we couldn't tell you what it is, are starting to stop. And thousand-year-old trees are falling over dead, and they shouldn't. That's all from this end. Amen. Amen. A woman. That was absurd. Let's eat dead bird. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Open up with that scene from Home for the Holidays as a traditional Thanksgiving weekend uh, movie clip that I use. Uh, you know, and happy Thanksgiving. For those of you that are listening before Thanksgiving, have a great Thanksgiving. And for those of you that are listening after, I hope you can uh, I hope you can still uh, walk to get to the malls and start the uh, Black Friday thing because uh, you ate so much on uh, Turkey Day. So uh, hopefully that you're uh, hopefully you're uh, you're recovering from that food coma you were in uh, yesterday or the day before. Um, so anyway, uh, that song was "I'm Not Gonna Let It Bother Me Tonight" from Atlanta Rhythm Section from the uh, back in the 1970s. You know, imagine imagine the the uh, the the future future seeing that they were back then you know and i play a lot of these songs from the 70s and 80s and uh and you know they might have been singing about something different but you know when they say the world is one big tragedy and all the you know what can i do about the pain and injustice apparently this is not a a new thing but it just looks amplified a hundred million times with uh biden in the white house but uh Hey, it is what it is, and we will, uh, you know, let's not let it bother us tonight. Let's take Thanksgiving weekend off, and let's not think about the terrorists bombing things in New York, and let's not think about the potential terrorists that I'm going to talk about today that's going on in this country. Let's not worry about any of that stuff. Let's not worry about the uh, the war in Israel, and let's not worry about the war in Ukraine. Let's just pig out and shop like people do on Thanksgiving weekend. Hey, so uh, I'm going to talk about a lot of what's going on uh, in this country and abroad. But before I do, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, 
Call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, dear night. Toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you'd uh, like to pick up a piece of property you'd like to own, whether you want to refinance a piece of property you already own, uh, whether you want to buy, get a piece of property in California or in another state, or uh, if you're over 62 and you'd like to look into one of them reverse mortgage things, and uh, and you know, uh, close the gap between how many years you have left and how much money you have left. Um, call me toll free eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. If you don't want to talk on the phone, but you do want to get this information, go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo, and we'll do the we'll do the cyber thing. Put in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates. We'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. All right. If uh, if you're you miss any part of the show, stay on edhoffman.net and click on the podcast page. You can have you can get this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcast, and you can where you can actually subscribe for free. And uh, I record typically on Friday mornings, and uh, except for when Thanksgiving's on Thursday, uh, and I'm recording on Wednesday this week. Um, but I, I, I typically record Friday mornings. It uploads Friday afternoon and it'll download shortly thereafter to your, your computer, your phone, or your, uh, your, whatever device you listen to podcasts on. And you could listen to it on demand whenever it's convenient for you. And, uh, you can get it a little earlier than it plays on the radio. Um, if you have comments on the show, send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. All right. So let's, uh, let's get on with this thing. And, uh, Let's talk about what's going on. So on Monday, the United States released a new package for Ukraine worth $100 million in military equipment from the Department of Defense. Are you wondering why you didn't hear about Congress voting on this? The answer is they didn't have to vote on this because it's not the president's supplemental aid package, which he proposed last month. That package, which is where Biden wants to spend another $61 billion helping Ukraine and only $14 billion helping Israel, will require a congressional vote, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. What happened this week is something you may not have heard about. Since all Fox News wants to talk about this week was the president's 81st birthday, how he mixed up Taylor Swift, Britney Spears, and Beyonce when he pardoned the turkeys, and whether he's mentally fit to run. We all know he's not, and we don't have to talk about that every day. And uh, and quite frankly, uh, I can speak for myself. I don't give a... Uh, I don't care about Britney Spears or Taylor Swift or Beyonce and uh, or Susan Sarandon. And uh, while and while I'm just mentioning, I know everybody's heard about Susan Sarandon uh, making her comments out there at uh, one of these Palestinian protests and uh, and saying, hey, man, now the Jewish people get to get to find out how it feels to be to be Muslim. And uh, and surprisingly, her talent agency fired her. Hey, we're not representing Susan Sarandon anymore. Maybe she's done. Maybe she didn't care. But you'd think anybody in the movie business knows knows that you know the the lion's share of it is controlled by Jewish people. And if you want to get jobs, why would you go out there and say, "Hey, now you Jewish people can get a feel for what it's like to be a Muslim," as if we're supposed to feel sorry for what it's like to to be a Muslim? I don't believe America is a racist country, and I don't think that. That we're really uh, that we really discriminate against uh, uh, religions in general until something like this happens, and and I can tell you the Jews are 
are getting persecuted now in America, not so much anywhere else, just America by college kids and movie stars, people that we really don't care what they think. So if all that, if that's all that you heard about this week, then you missed the fact that the defense secretary Lloyd Austin made a surprise visit to Ukraine on Monday. He met with Zelensky in Kiev to present a hundred million dollar aid package of military equipment for Ukraine to defend itself against Russia. Now, why didn't Congress have to vote on this? Because the Defense Department used something called Presidential Drawdown Authority, PDA, not to be confused with public display, display of affection, which uh, most people uh, think of when we hear PDA. Well, most younger people than me do. With the PDA, the money doesn't have to be approved by Congress, but in this case, it was already approved in the past two fiscal years since the war in Ukraine started. You know, the war that wouldn't have started at all if uh, if uh, if Trump won the election, which he did. But if uh, we didn't we didn't uh, go through with this, the the stealing of the election, Trump would have said, hey, Putin, what are you doing? I see what you're doing on the on the border of Ukraine. We're just going to put some sanctions on you till you back the hell off, as opposed to how Biden handled it. Well, they haven't done anything yet. Why would we put sanctions on them? They haven't done anything yet. Let's wait till they kill some people. Then we'll put some sanctions on them. So uh, to use this money that uh, was allocated, the Secretary of State asked the president if he can notify Congress that the funds will be used. And then the Secretary of Defense allocates the funds to coordinate what equipment they're going to use it on. And that's all they have to do. This is not a new appropriation. This is just actually giving the funds that were already appropriated over the last two years. So here's a question that I'm going to ask at least three times on this show. If we allocated $164 billion over the last two years and we haven't spent it all, why is it so necessary to allocate another $61 billion? These are just common sense. I'm not a politician and I'm not an economist, but I know how to do math and I have, and I have a, a logically thinking brain and this just comes up when I think about the gigantic check that I've talked about almost every week since I wrote it um, to the IRS. Um, and that's what they're using our money for. It just angers me beyond to a point that the only way to describe it accurately is to say words I'm not allowed to say on the radio. So what equipment are we giving Ukraine now? From the White House press release, the capabilities in this package valued up to $100 million include Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, one high-mobility artillery rocket system, or HIMARS, and additional ammunition. High-mobility artillery rocket system. Is that the same as Iron Dome, or is this something different? 155-millimeter and 105-millimeter artillery rounds. Those are some big bullets. Uh, Tube-launched, optically-tracked, wire-guided missiles. Tube-launched, optically-tracked, wire-guided I don't know what any of that means, but it sounds pretty uh, sounds pretty uh, confusing. Javelin and AT4 anti-armor anti-armor systems, more than three million rounds of small arms ammunition, demolition demolition munitions for obstacle clearing, cold weather gear, cold weather gear. Wait, isn't this isn't this war going on in Ukraine and Russia? Isn't it cold there? Hasn't this war been going on for the last two years? What did they use last winter? 
They need jackets and uh, and earmuffs and uh, and gloves. What about the stuff they used last year? Did they just throw it away? I'll tell you, I'm up in Montana. I got up here a week ago, and it's cold in Montana. Today it's in the 40s, 40s, maybe in the 30s, and it looks like we might get snow on Thanksgiving. Um, it's cold out there. Happily, um, I got me a nice ski jacket that I keep up here in Montana, and when I got here and it was time to go outside, I just took my ski jacket that's been here for the last two years since we bought this house, and I put it on, and it works great. Keeps me uh, warm in the cold. Why is that different in Ukraine? I don't know. The last thing that $100 million uh, uh, includes is spare parts, maintenance, and other ancillary equipment. Now, the caps on this PDA were previously set at $11 billion for fiscal year 22 and $6.2 billion for fiscal year 23. So there will be more of these coming. From the Hill, the Pentagon has said it's it's pacing out the number of packages to Ukraine as it waits for Congress to pass another round of legislation that could include potentially billion dollars more. Uh, again, and again, I will ask the same question. If they haven't spent the first $164 billion we allocated, why do we need to allocate another $61 billion? I don't know. It just seems logical to me. Austin is also holding a meeting in Ukraine, Ukraine this week with international. Co Austin is also holding a meeting in Ukraine this week with an international coalition of roughly 50 other nations. The total of these nations will be contributing to Ukraine is around 36 billion dollars. So let's see, 36 billion divided by 50 countries is 900 million apiece. In contrast. United States has already given $164 billion. I don't know. That just doesn't seem like a, like a fair game. While he was there, Austin also addressed why $60 billion in supplemental aid is still necessary. A reporter asked, how worried are you about the future security of aid to Ukraine given the op opposition in Congress? Here's his answer. You know, I continue to see bipartisan support in both chambers of Congress. And I know that there are some things that we need to continue to work through uh, to, to get the supplemental request uh, approved. Uh, and we'll continue to work with Cong Congress to, to do that. Uh, our congressional members have, uh, have valid questions that we will answer. And, uh, but again, I, I would point out that uh, Ukraine matters. What happens here matters, not just to Ukraine, but to the entire world. This is about the rules-based international order. This is about, you know, not, not not living in a world where a dictator can uh, wake up one day and decide to to annex uh, the, the property of his peaceful neighbor. That's not the world that we want to live in. And so this is this is more than than just Ukraine. This is about again a rules-based international order. So this is about a rules-based international order. So after hearing that, you may uh, be asking, like I did. What exactly is a rules-based international order? Because that's what this is all about. Well, there's a lot of definitions out there. Here are some of the descriptions you can find on Wikipedia. It describes a set of global rule-based rule rule structured relationships based in the late, late 1940s, established in the aftermath of World War II by Harry Truman, as he sought to deepen our engagement with Europe after World War II. Okay. It entails international cooperation through multilateral institutions, like the United Nations, World Trade Organization, and the International Monetary Fund. And I guess they were thinking about one world order back in the 40s, too. 
It's constituted by freedom, rule of law, human rights, open markets, promotion of democracy, and monetary cooperation. But Wikipedia also says that the nature of the rules-based international order, as well as its very existence, is frequently debated by scholars. So do they actually know what it is? Does a rules-based international order actually matter? Or is it just a term governments can throw around whenever they need to conjure up public support for some international conflict they want their citizens to pay for? I think it's the latter. Here's some descriptions from Parley Policy Initiative. The term rules-based international order has become commonplace in government statements and joint communique. For many, the message is that the order is necessary to preserve the conditions needed for peace and prosperity. Sounds like a sounds like a pile of BS. Others argue the rules-based international order is nothing more than a tool for a select group of countries to advance their, their own hegemonic or exploitive ambitions, which in English means uh, that it's the the basic to uh, convince to, for a basic dictatorship to convince its citizens that they live in a free country, which looks as clear as clear as as glass to me that this is what's going on. We're slowly becoming a socialist. We're slowly becoming a dictatorship, and they want to still keep convincing us that we live in a free country. The one commonality between the two sides present these arg- that present those arguments is neither neither tends to define what the rules-based international order really is or why it matters. Bingo. But Biden administration is using the senseless construct, one that no one is able to define, to justify why American people need to give Ukraine another $60 billion for this war. So uh, there's a good chance that we can expect the uh, the House to vote uh, on this, this uh, supplemental aid that we need to uh, spend to to keep the international uh, rules-based order um, that's going to happen before the new year. And congressional Democrats are using scare tactics to help us feel good about it. Here's House Foreign, Foreign Affairs Committee uh, Chairman Gregory Meeks to cheerfully frighten us into submission. He says if we don't do supplemental package, we may have to deploy American troops to Ukraine and China will take take over Taiwan and eventually the world. <laughs> I think if we get a vote on the floor, you will see that both parties will overwhelmingly vote for aid to Israel, overwhelmingly vote for aid to Ukraine, overwhelmingly vote for humanitarian uh, aid, overwhelmingly vote to, you know, for keeping and, and, and protecting Taiwan. Uh, I think those things will happen overwhelmingly. We just need to get them to the floor. Uh, to vote on. And I think that one package uh, would be the best thing to do. We've got to make sure that we stand by President Zelensky and the Ukrainian people. Because if we turn our backs on them, then I'm sure President Xi thinks we'll turn our back on Taiwan. That's why this is absolutely uh, important, and we cannot fail to fund both. Ukraine has fought vigilantly and made sure that we don't have to have a troop there. But if, Mm -hmm. God forbid, Putin continues to move on uh, as he would. He won't stop in Ukraine. He'll move somewhere else. He'll hit a NATO ally. And then we do have a serious problem where even our troops have to go to go to war. So based on what uh, Lloyd uh, Lloyd Austin said and what Gregory Meek said, I guess we can expect that wherever Russia goes, our money is going. We're just going to keep doing this because we have to make sure that we don't live in a world where, where, uh, where countries can take over their peaceful neighbors and just whenever they want to. So uh I guess I guess you can uh, you can just expect a 
keep losing freedoms and uh, and us to go into economic meltdown as they overspend uh, the money that we don't have. Last week, there was a rally for Israel in D.C. It was the largest pro-Israel rally in American history with 300,000 people in attendance. And, of course, it took up the same amount of room in the mall in Washington, D.C. Uh, that the Million Men March uh, took up. So if it's a big crowd in the mall, it's 300,000. If it's a conservative movement, and it's a million if it has something to do with race. And there were four members of Congress there to show our government's bipartisan support for Israel. The two Democrats who took the stage were Majority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer, who proudly declared himself to be the highest ranking Jew in the history of the United States, and Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, who was a bit more humble. But they both strategically took advantage of this rally as an opportunity to rah-rah Americans into supporting the supplemental aid package. Let's listen to Chuck Schumer first. We stand with you, and we will not rest until you get all the assistance you need. We will not rest until you get the assistance you need. Wow, this guy should be an actor because he sure acts He sure acts committed to this. Of course, uh, the House passed a $14.3 billion aid package for Israel, but... Chuck Schumer won't bring it to the floor of the Senate to vote on it in the Senate. And, of course, uh, Joe Biden said if uh, if the aid package didn't include money to, to Ukraine, he was going to veto it. So Mike Johnson in the House says, hey, we're going to we're going to split this into separate separate, uh, not one big omnibus aid thing that includes everything. We're going to say, hey, let's vote on Israel. Then we'll vote on Ukraine. Then we'll do that. But. We won't stop until you get all the assistance you need, except for we won't let you have the assistance you need, because if we can't give four times that amount to Ukraine, we're just not going to vote on it because we don't care about Israel, as he tells to 300,000 Jewish people out there. Um, But, you know, they'll still vote Democrat because that's what Jewish people do. Uh, Next, let's hear Hakeem Jeffries with his uh, bunch of BS. Has strongly supported the state of Israel. Support President Biden's supplemental funding request for Israel, for Ukraine, and for humanitarian assistance. Yeah, you support you support Israel, and you strongly support it. Except for uh, you voted no against the Israel package. And of course, why is it that we have to give so much money to Ukraine if we're going to give any money to Israel? Is it because Ukraine? Has Biden by the by the short and curlies? Is it because uh, Biden because Ukraine can can uh, expose everything that Biden was doing in the Ukraine as if we don't already know? I mean, uh, you know, hey, we impeached President Trump for asking, hey, what what's going on with this stuff that Biden spoke about on video, and the and the Democrats impeached him for that, but now the Oversight Committee is bringing it all out. And now we can't give money to Israel unless we give money to to Ukraine. So is it because they've got all the evidence against him and they're going to spill it? Or is it just because if we don't give any money to Ukraine, then the Biden crime syndicate doesn't get any kickback from it? Because Ukraine, because Israel probably isn't kicking back. Or and how many other people in the government are getting money from this? Because they got to get all the uh, all the evil Democrats to support this. So I'm sure they're getting some of that money too. 
So, uh, you know, they're filtering some to the Bidens and they'll filter some to the Jeffries and filter some to who knows how many people and and who knows if there's Republicans involved as well. I think we can see see that, you know, hey, we give money to Israel so they give money back. We give money to Egypt so they can give money to Menendez. We give money to all these different countries that that we don't seem to have any real interest in um, so they can kick it back to some other uh, congressional person. And uh, and then next, if we ever run out of foreign aid, we give money to all these climate change companies that are making windmills and solar products and uh, and uh, and electric vehicle batteries so they can kick back all the money to the Democrats and then go bankrupt a year later, like we've seen happen over and over again as a as a large check writing taxpayer. This stuff offends me. And if it doesn't offend you, maybe you're not paying taxes, but I'm sure you have paid taxes in the past. And, you know, just if they're taking part of your paycheck, you should care where that money's going. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for the first half of the main event. So stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, sports, commercials, and uh, we'll be back with lots, lots more. Part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. No, uh, the world is uh, the world is in an uproar, and I see no end in sight. But we're not going to let it bother us tonight. No, we are not. We're not going to let it bother us for all Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to stop watching the news, other than listening to the main event. This is the only news show you need to t- listen to, and then start back up on Monday, paying attention. Of course, uh, I don't think the terrorists take weekends off. And I'm sure the illegal immigrants don't take weekends off. And uh, so maybe that's not a great idea. Maybe just take one one day off. So uh, as I say every week, I don't talk a lot about real estate and finance, but that's what I do. Uh, the other the other uh, six days and 23 hours that I'm not on the radio. And uh, if you're uh, needing some real estate financing, you want to talk to someone who has a logically thinking brain and will uh, will help you lead you to a to solutions for your finances that are good for you not for me um but are in your best interest then call me toll free at 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net click on United American Mortgage logo so uh we've been talking about what's been going on in uh Ukraine and uh and all the aid packages that we want to send to other countries Meanwhile, our government is busy uh, funding wars in, for the allies around the world. America continues to crumble under the weight of the migrant crisis the Biden administration created. And one liberal city that originally welcomed migrants with open arms is now feeling the impact. And, uh, and as I talk about this, just think about this is one city. This is one city. This is one city in one state. And imagine, number one, imagine what Texas and Arizona are going through, not to mention what California is going through. And uh, this will all come to a to a city near you, one that you live in, no matter where you're at. And, and of course, um, I haven't seen if they figured out who blew up the, did the car bomb on, up by Niagara Falls. 
in the northern uh, the northern border. But if it turns out if it turns out that it was illegal immigrants that were terrorists that came across the southern border, we'll talk about this next week. But if it turns out, then we know that nobody is safe because they came in the southern border and made it all the way to the northern border. And uh, I'm sure they all stopped at every every city in between. And uh, we have no idea what they let let in here because we put we installed Mr. Magoo, a sprig of broccoli with no brain cells into the White House and uh, convinced everybody that Biden really, really got those votes when we know damn well he didn't. So last week, New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced that the migrant crisis has already cost the city somewhere between 11 and 12 billion dollars. So 11 and 12 billion dollars I need to add. Okay, so I'm going to I have a I did some figures and I went on 12 million. Okay, so uh so he needs to close a 7 billion dollar gap in next year's budget. So this is forcing him to cut 4 billion dollars from the city's annual budget over the next 2 years. So he's going to cut 4 billion dollars out of next year and the next year to pay for the last year's for the last year's migrant crisis in his city. But what about the cost for the next year of those migrants still being in his city? And if it takes two years to pay for one, what happens do we do? In, what happens in the next year when he has that same uh, same cost again? I don't know. I'm not a politician. I'm not an economist, but I know how to balance my checkbook, and uh, this would bother me. So, uh, so the first round of cuts will affect all city departments, including public safety, education, libraries, and sanitation immediately from the New York times. The city has been overwhelmed by more than 125,000 migrants since last year, including about half still in its care. Hey, let me just make a note here. So you remember this when I talk about this later, 125,000 migrants. Well, in the Senate hearings that we heard last, last week, the number for across the border has been about 6 million. Here's 125,000. 6 million is 48 times that. So the problem has meant funding tent facilities and paying for hotel stays across five boroughs and crippling the city's finances. As a result, the city last week announced a slew of cuts to services such as getting rid of some public garbage cans, lessening aid to libraries, and eliminating new classes of police officers kind of undoing what Rudy Giuliani did in the 90s to make New York City uh, safer and more prosperous. And why does being safer, why does making the city safer make it more prosperous? I'll let Dalton from the Roadhouse tell you. People who really want to have a good time won't come to a slaughterhouse. Yep. So if uh, people, I would imagine New York City makes a lot of money off of tourism, especially since uh, Don and I have been there about... 10 or 12 times in the last 15 years, or let's say between uh, 2002 and 2017. I think that was the last time we went. Um, and, you know, and we spend a lot of money there just doing nothing, just screwing off and having fun. It's a historic city, lots of, lots of tourism stuff going on, lots of great restaurants, lots of good bars and lots of good shows. And it's just fun to go there and just screw off for four days at a time and we did it almost like every year year and a half for for a long time until it got ugly and i remember a, i remember an interview with uh, norm mcdonald of saturday night live fame saying that uh was him and one other guy from saturday night live and they said ah oh, giuliani made the made times square and took all the fun out of times square and then norm mcdonald goes well you know 
before Giuliani came in, it was just drug dealers and hookers in Times Square. So uh, I guess maybe maybe it wasn't all that fun. So if you if you read uh, Rudy Giuliani's book Leadership, he tells about how he upped up the amount of police and 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 changed some of the systems to make New York City safe. Well, all that stuff is going away. So first, let's touch on two departments that we don't have exact figures for, but we know what the impact will be. The libraries. Libraries will now be closed on Sundays. Okay, fine. Not a huge big deal, Um, especially since we're in the information age now. So anything you can find in a book in a library, you can probably also find on the Internet. So maybe libraries are, you know, an an old system that we're still funding. Of course, there's a lot of people that don't have access to computers so they go to the library to use the computers the computer access there um but the next one is a big deal public sanitation in a city that's already rat infested and parts of it are suffering from sewage crisis after a series of rainstorms there will now be fewer trash bins around new york city because they won't be able to employ enough workers to empty them so if you if you've ever traveled to new york city specifically manhattan you know towards the end of the night on any given night, you can start to see the side streets and some of the sidewalks pile up with trash bags everywhere. You know, the, the trash bins or the trash dumpsters are overflowing and you just see piles and piles of, of trash, of trash bags for the sanitation department to come, come around every single night and pick them up. So it's, so can you imagine, Hey, they're going to cut down the people in the sanitation department, that's going to be uh, nice for the people who live there. Uh, so now for the numbers of what it means to New York City residents whose whose quality of life will now be compromised due to the migrant crisis, Mayor Adams' plans uh, plan calls for cutting $132 million from NYPD's $5.6 billion budget. That means hiring freeze on the next five NYPD Academy classes. Those police academy graduates will now have to go work elsewhere for the first time, and for the first time since the 1980s, the NYPD will have fewer than 30,000 officers on the street, which, as I discussed, meant that New York Times was just full of drug dealers and hookers. Um, and you know what? Uh, so New York, New York City is gonna is gonna pay to train all these cops, and then they're gonna go work somewhere else. Wow, that's a that's a plan that makes economic sense. Maybe we should hire a businessman to run. To run the city, but you know what? I think Eric Adams is is actually actually waking up to to what what is happening by to this country due to the to the Democrats. So uh, that's a cut of about five thousand officer, which means a lot of crimes are about to go unsolved. From Politico, retired executives say if the city actually goes through with the plan to postpone five classes of new officers through two thousand twenty five. It would hobble units that investigate sex crimes and homicides and further overwhelm detectives who are already facing crushing caseloads, which means uh, people will get away with crimes. And $74 million will be cut from the FDNY, that's the city's fire department. That means all civilian job vacancies will go away for now. No more overtime for firefighters and light duty firefighters may be laid off. And considering we've just let hundreds, if not thousands of of uh known terrorists across across the southern border um if you think about 9-11 the next 9-11 won't have as many uh if it happens in new york city there won't be as many firefighters to come rescue people and uh 
I don't know. I would imagine the terrorists, the terrorists that come into this country watch TV and they re- read the newspapers and they watch and they watch the internet to see what's happening. And uh, I'm sure they're taking note. But it's the kids who will pay the highest cost for this mess. Um, the city's education t- department will take the biggest hit of all with $547 million cut for the next two years. In other words, over a, over a billion dollars. So, some of these cuts, swim safety classes in the summer, which was approved under the bill passed earlier this year, that goes away to save the city $5.3 million. $20 million gets cut from a summer program that had 110,000 kids in it last year. And that's just not, it's not just summer school that's getting cut. $120 million gets cut from the pre-K program, which serves about 100,000 preschoolers. Okay, maybe you don't think three- and four-year-olds need to be in school. Well, how about this? Middle schools, grades six, seven, and eight, will be forced to reduce their hours. Reportedly, there will be no more classes on Friday, and these kids who are already struggling to start learning again thanks to COVID and thanks to the fact that um, the teachers now are, are union members before teachers – uh, you know, it used to be that, uh, you know, teaching was a calling and you taught because you wanted to, you wanted to, to mold the minds of our, of our future leaders and teach these kids to think. In the last many years, I've come to see that, you know, uh, with the California teachers union and all the teachers unions across the country, um, that it's no longer about teaching. It's all about money. And you saw how how they all reacted to COVID. Hey, you know, we want we want to make sure we give these kids the best teaching. No, we don't really care about that. We just want to make sure that we can uh, we can work from home and we can teach these kids on the internet, which we know is not effective, and we don't have the kids full attention. And uh, in fact, that means that we can teach from a hotel room in the Bahamas or in uh, in Tahiti or in Hawaii. Uh, oh, wait, Hawaii was locked down, so we don't want to do there, but we can go down to Mexico and we can do all this stuff and be on vacation all the time and teach the kids kind of with no accountability. I just don't think I just don't think that the teachers have the same feeling about teaching that they used to have. Maybe some of you do, but I don't think that's the I don't think that's the emphasis. Everything's about money, not about not about teaching kids. It's about money. So um, what about high school? Well, they have to pay a price too. In fact, it looks like all kids will get to suffer from schools that will be less safe for them because now there's a hiring freeze on new cla- on new class of 250 school safety agents, people whose job it is to stop fights, confiscate weapons and drugs, and oh, and do their best to stop school shootings. I thought that, that was a big priority for the White House uh, now. Uh, no, wasn't that, um, apparently it's, no one seems to, to think this is a big deal. Uh, not as big as making sure that two and a half million migrants stay here permanently and make sure their kids get to go, go to school here. Hopefully no, nobody brings a gun into school because they won't, there won't be anyone to stop them. And, uh, I hope that my saying, saying this isn't, uh, uh, giving anybody ideas, but I don't think the evil doers in this country need my help in coming up with ideas to do evil. Uh, there will be some cuts to migrant services. Adam's office confirmed Monday that they will seek a 20% budget cuts for asylum seeker expenses, including sheltering, but the migrant kids will still be in school in New York city. So let's see. 
these kids won't have a place to stay or take a shower or a bath, but they'll still be going to school. What does that mean for the kids in school? Frankly, his personal hygiene is becoming a cause for concern. He's the smelly kid in class? I let him become the smelly kid in class? What the hell's the matter with me? Well, apparently there will be some smelly kids in class because they will uh, be sleeping on the streets and then going to school, sitting next to uh, the people that are legal, legal citizens and have a place to live. Back in September, Mayor Adams indicated these cuts were coming down the pike. Here he is speaking his mind in a town hall two months ago in September. 110,000 migrants who have to feed, clothe, house, educate the children, wash their laundry sheets, give them everything they need, health care. And this team here, we stated, let's do everything possible before we have to push it out into neighborhoods and communities. Month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. Well, we're here. We're here. We're getting no support on this national crisis. And we're receiving no support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just getting Venezuela. Now we're getting Ecuador. Now we're getting Russian speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're getting uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Every community in this city is going to be impacted. We got a $12 billion deficit that we're going to have to cut. Every service in this city is going to be impacted. I said it last year when we had 15,000. I'm telling you now with 110,000, the city we knew we're about to lose. Wow, you know what? I, I wonder I wonder why uh, Eric Adams hasn't changed his party. I mean, he's he's he makes it clear that um, this is this is a national problem that the southern border is open. The southern border is not open because of a Greg Abbott in Texas. He tried to close it, and and the Biden administration had you know they put up razor wire down there, and he had they had the the te the uh, national guard. Cut, cut the razor wire so people could come across. Texas is Texas is trying to protect Texans, but the but the federal government is trying to just destroy the whole country. And imagine this is one hundred twenty five thousand. He said one hundred ten in that one, but that was in September. But that's been a month and a half. So now there's one hundred twenty five thousand migrants in New York City. That's one forty-eighth of what's come across the border already, and it and they keep coming in. So if uh, if one hundred twenty-five thousand uh, costs between eleven and twelve billion, what does that mean? It's costing the rest of the country. I'll tell you that in a, in a couple of minutes. 
Immediately after the cuts were uh, announced last week, Adams appeared in a, at a town hall for older adults in Brooklyn. He delivered his first public comments on the cuts there. So listen, I, I only know honesty. You know, after 22 years of being a police officer, uh, eight years, seven years as being a state senator, eight years as being a borough president, I'm just an old-fashioned New Yorker. Uh, you know, there's nothing fancy about me. Uh, I'm just, I like to, I believe New Yorkers believe in plain talk and honesty. We're in some serious financial trouble right now. We just had to announce a budget cut in our services in the city to pay for these asylum seekers, migrant crises that our city was hit with. This is unfair to the asylum seekers and migrants, and it's unfair to New Yorkers who have been here for years upon years. The national government must do their share. This is a national problem. It's not a New York City problem, Chicago problem, Massachusetts problem. The national government should be picking up this tab, and it should not be coming out of the backs of everyday New Yorkers. That is wrong, and that is what is happening. There's 142,000 migrants and asylum seekers have come to the city so far. Not one child or family sleeping on the street because of what we have done, but we've run out of room. We've run out of room. So, uh, again, he's, he's pointing out that this is a national problem caused by the, the federal government. Well, he calls it the national government. And why hasn't he declared I'm, I'm changing parties? You know, in part of his speech that I didn't play, he, he blamed some of it on, on Greg Abbott from Texas. But he can't hold Greg Abbott. Imagine how many people are in Texas. In all the cities in Texas. And imagine, don't imagine just the cost, imagine the quality of life that Texans are feeling. And of course, we're all feeling it at some, at some point. We're all feeling it to at some extent. But think about this. If that was $12 billion for 125000 then $6 million is equal to $576 trillion a year. $576 trillion. That is the end of the United States of America. We can't sustain that. We cannot sustain it. Well, let's just say that he's overestimating the numbers. And let's say it was half that. That's 200, 230, $288 trillion? Trillion. Right now we have a, a $2 trillion deficit, and we've got $33 trillion, uh, $33 trillion national debt. It goes up $2 trillion every year because we spend too much. Add $288 trillion to that. How long do you think the, the you know, 20 years from now, if, they're, if the kids in schools are allowed to read history books, they're going to be reading about the, the fall of the American empire. And it's all over. Hey, you know what? I'll say, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, Adams is saying, hey, I don't see an end in sight. Well, there's an end in sight, but it's not going to happen until January of 2025 when Trump gets back in the White House. And he'll end it. He'll end it, but it's not going to happen overnight. And then what happens with all the money that's been gone for the last year and for the next year? Think about this, folks, and talk about this over Thanksgiving dinner with your, with your kids that, that aren't smart enough to think about this. According to Politico, Adams and Biden aren't even speaking. The battle with Washington has put Adams on the outs with the White House and President Joe Biden, with whom he hasn't spoke to in, in almost a year. 
At a town hall in Coney Island on Monday night, the mayor said the cuts were real, but he did not want to make them. We all are angry, he said, but don't yell at me. Yell at D.C. In case it isn't already abundantly clear, here's Adams placing the blame directly on the Biden administration. Imagine if you own a home or an apartment you rent and you budget out your money because you're on a fixed income. You budget your money for the year and all of a sudden the roof caves in. But you say, okay, I got an insurance policy. The insurance policy would pay for my roof. And you go to the insurance agent and they say, no, we're not paying for it. You have to take the money out of somewhere, your light, your food, your gas, paying for your children. That's what's happening to us. The national government is our insurance policy to take care of national issues. And since they're not taking for the roof caving in on us, we have to pick up the cost of that. That's wrong. Exactly. You know, this guy would, this guy would make a great Republican because he's, he's starting to talk sense. And as I said, if $12 billion for one city, and that's 148th of it means $576 trillion, let's suppose he overestimated that by 90%. That's $57.6 trillion. What if it was 100 times too much? That's $5 trillion. What did it cost us to get out of the the economic meltdown from 2008? Uh... Two trillion. If this is one hundred times overestimated, it's it's almost six trillion dollars. The country cannot sustain this. Biden Biden is so hard up to be to go down in history as a president. He doesn't care what he went down in history for. He's going to go down in history as the one who toppled the American empire. He put the lap, put the straw in that broke the camel's back and all the Democrats are supporting him. Whether And whether they support him now for re-election, they support him all this time. They supported the steal of the election. They supported putting people for January 6th in jail. They supported uh, impeaching Trump. That's the state of our country. So as we, as we break for Thanksgiving uh, to have some thankfulness, spend the weekend being thankful. And then let's get back to reality. We have a lot to be scared about. And I don't want to put all this negative stuff on everybody, but I just don't see uh I just don't see anything different what's going on in this country and it's ugly. And uh you know, I know I'm taken care of for the rest of my lifetime, but I worry about my kids and I worry about my grandkids and so should you. Hey anyway, so uh, I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event. So uh have a happy Thanksgiving if I didn't ruin it for you. And uh my name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back again with you next week.